Welcome to another distinct nostalgia by MIM. More than a podcast. Brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. Staying well, staying home. Earlier this year, we lost one of Britain's favourite comedians. On the 2nd of April, Eddie Large, one half of the fabulous double act Little and Large, died from COVID-19. In a special interview, Sid Little has been remembering his long-time comedy partner and their years together making people laugh. He's been chatting to distinct nostalgia's Caroline Haywood. So we're taking this trip down Comedy Lane. Obviously, you are incredibly well-known as being part of a double act and unfortunately um, Eddie passed away at the beginning of lockdown April the 2nd yeah, uh, yeah absolutely devastating I think a lot of people you know included me obviously but I mean it was very sad mm. he's been very ill for a while he, he started having uh, what's known as a heart failure and um, you know heart problems he, he had to have a heart transplant, which he did, or he would have been dead. So it's like, six, yeah, 16 years ago, he had a heart transplant, you know, and, and it's the full thing, the proper, all the, the, like, one in, one out. And uh, wow. so he lasted another 16 years, but it was on tablets, and it really was a strain on on him, you know, and that's why once he had the heart transplant, we, we couldn't work together again, it's just sad. Because uh, he did after dinner speaking when he felt like it, and uh, I sort of um, started a, a career on the cruise ships. Funny enough, I did nine years. That's when I met Mick Miller and all that, and Bernie Cliff, everyone. But um, the uh, you know it, it was it was uh, nine years and pantomime, but it was very hard for me because being a double act all those years, and I was the straight man. I was the straight man. I yeah, I didn't do the gags or anything. I did that. I just stood there as a, you know, as Eddie's stooge, as it were, really. But it, it worked. And when, that, when we went on television, then I had to start to talk, which that's when it went all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it, it was okay. But um, the, the the thing is, it, it it was very hard for me to to actually establish myself as a single act when when he, he sort of re- um, semi-retired, you know. So I. And I, 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 it was very hard. Like agents would phone me up and say, "You know, my agent up, and my agent would phone around and see if we could get me work." And they say, "Well, we know what Little and Large did, but what does Sid Little do on his own?" And it took me. You know, people took a chance with him, and then they read, "Oh, he's great. Yeah, we'll have you again, Sid." But, 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 and I, like I say, I did nine years um, pantomimes uh, all over the place, York, everywhere. And uh, and um, did do summer seasons because summer seasons were, were gone then in yeah. the, in the two thousands you know, um, and so it was uh, it, it was it was but eventually I enjoyed it for yeah. so long and then I always said that I'd, uh, when I stop enjoying it I'll, I'll I won't do it anymore so um, yeah I, I'm sort of retired from the business I, I do things now and again yeah so yeah. I did that Marigold Hotel. That about was an absolute ago. delight. Was that was it? one I of know. our favourite viewings. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. About four years ago, that you know. Was it? Was it? Yeah, I, I, ad- I adored yeah. that. They sent me to Vietnam after that. Oh, yeah, oh so. I haven't seen that one. No, it was only. It was all we did. Um, I think we were over there for about a fortnight, something like that. We, um, India, we were a month, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it was a uh, nine days. It was yeah in Vietnam, and so, and so it was like uh, the, although it was a series. Like the Indian one, it was um, it was uh, different people 
we went to different places over I remember the, now yeah yeah so yeah. maybe that's why it was only a one-off as it were yeah I missed that one but um yeah and and I like I say I'm retired from it, but now I've ended up in a pub because that's I've come full circle now because I started off in pubs when I was a teenager you know yeah getting up on stage that's the stage there and uh just singing and playing because you used so, to have free and easies then, you know. You just get up, anyone could get up and sing before karaoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was the it was the open mic type exactly. Yeah, scenario. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's go back to that then. So you said you um, were born here because your mum was over here during the war. Well, she she was sent out here to to have me. Right. Okay. You know, because I, you know the, the bombs were dropping on Manchester because uh, it was a target for the for the bombers and that from Germany. Yeah. And so this was for some unknown reason, you know, Adolf Hitler didn't uh, start bombing Blackpool. He never, never bothered with it. You know. Well, apparently he wanted it as his yeah. own little playground, didn't That's he? That's right. He wanted all his generals and all that to have it as their thing. Apparently, yeah. But um, it was lucky for me, you know, they, they, they changed all the hotels into um, maternity hospitals, most didn't of them. Know that. And my mum t- told me for years. She said. Oh, you were born in the Angel Hotel in Blackpool. I said, was I? Wow. And I believed her until I was about 25 or something like that. And she said, you don't believe me, do you? I said, yeah, I'm telling you, you weren't. No, it was called, and it was called Central Drive. <laughs> Central Drive Hotel. Uh, so it's still there, apparently. Oh, it's, is it? But it is a hotel now. Yeah. So who was, so when you went back to Manchester, who was at home then? Uh, well, my dad was in the RAF. He was out in Burma uh, during the war. For, for, I mean, I was I, I didn't know my dad till I was five years old because he he was still out there. Nineteen forty, I was born in forty two, and he came back about forty six. No, four years old, forty six. Yeah. Wow, that's massive, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Well, we apparently me and my brother, who was two years older than me, he, so he was only about one or two when my dad went. So he didn't remember him. And then when he stood when he stood at the front door with all his RAF stuff on and all that, we we scared, we cried, nah, mummy, mummy, you know, just wanted our mum. Yeah, you know, it must have been hard for people coming back yeah. from the war and not having seen the families. And then, you know, it must have been so strange, you know, to think, why don't they recognise me? Or yeah, yeah. at least and he came back. Yeah, well, yeah, and there's that thing, isn't there, of of those those early years as a child and the bonding yes. that you do yeah. it, and particularly in a time of great stress like that you yeah. probably cling more and if yeah. your mum's the only one there yeah. to all of a sudden introduce somebody who's completely new it's not now like now where you can phone and have the That's conversations right. and, and was, see it somebody was, it was four years of nothing yeah i mean she couldn't even i've got a thing upstairs it's a it's a like a postcard and my father was quite artistic you know and he used to like Disney, and he didn't like. Uh, I think it was um, Daffy Duck or someone like that. Oh, yeah. But and and he drew, you know, how's my? It was when I was being that's right. It must have just before he, he either left for for India, then he went to Burma, or you know, and because you weren't allowed to put kisses because it could have been a code or something, you know, on oh. on, a, on a card, and they were all vetted. And that's why it was a postcard. You couldn't put it in a letter as such, and. Um, and so it was all that, and that's how he did it, little Mickey Mouse. And it was all that. He's asking my mum about how's our little bundle of joy, our Christmas parcel, because I was born on December the 19th. So it was just Aww. before he, he didn't know when. So he never knew I was born for a long time. Yeah. And did that bond eventually grow over well, when time? He, when he came back, yeah, um, 
he had years to catch up and when you realise it's your dad you yeah. know and uh, and my brother of course um, and and then when I became a teenager uh, I was 14 and I always remember it was rock and roll it was you're in the 50s now so it was rock and roll you know Elvis had brought a new meaning to teenage like teenagers there was no such word as a teenager till the 50s yeah I mean that, that was invented by our generation and um so uh, we, it, it was, it was uh, I think I was really liking music. I mm-hmm. mean, Dad used to play the cornet in the RAF band, but then he split his lip and he started the accordion. So he used to have, a, he had an accordion at home every Christmas, he'd bring it out and play it, and I was gobsmacked, you know, wow, you know. But it's a bit too much for me, that. Yeah. So I ended up going, um, so, so this advert in the Daily Mirror saying, uh, welcome to Britain, Elvis Presley, who never came, of course. Um, you know, uh, buy this guitar, seven and six, so I'm seven shillings and sixpence, which for me, I was a paper boy then, you know, yeah. paper round, had a paper round. So, me, um, me, me, I got it, I w- waited for it coming on for us. Has it come, Mum? Has it come? Then it came. It's a little plastic thing that you could get from the market now, you know, but with Elvis on and all that. But I was determined not to waste my money, and my dad tuned it up for me. It was a little, little plastic ukulele, really, nylon strings. And it was my dog, as fleas, ding, 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 ding. That's how you tune a ukulele up. <laughs> and, so, and, and I was singing all the songs of the day because in the 50s, you could, you know, with three chords on a ukulele or a guitar, you could play nearly every song that was going in the charts, in the hit parade, sorry, then. Yeah. It was like Lonnie Donegan, well, the rock ain't lane, she's a mighty good road, well, the rock ain't lane, and all this, you know. And there were loads of those. And so it would come quite easy to me, and my dad was very encouraging towards me you know to do it could be a musician himself and uh, then I got, got to I think when I was about 16 I used to sneak into like uh, the navigation pub it was called no club railway club yeah in Manchester and get up and just sing Peggy uh, Buddy Holly I think it was yeah. if you knew Peggy Sue and it was when it was just a, I, by this time I'd, I'd uh, I, I got a better guitar it was like a um, I got my first guitar with me um, Christmas savings from um, my paper round. I used to go around in those days, knock on the door, Merry Christmas, and they give you <laughs> half a crown or something like that. And I had, it was eight guineas, I think it cost me. And uh, and I got to play that. It was harder because it's metal strings and it was six six strings instead of four, you know. And I eventually got it, and like I say, I went to this So you, were, you, you weren't having lessons, you were self-taught? No, self-taught. Well, my dad, yeah. like I say, he showed me to get me going, yeah. and then I just took it off then. Because most of the guitarists and that that were born in my era that w- did better things on the guitar than I ever did, like Eric Clapton and all that, they, they couldn't read music around. They were all self-taught. Just purely by ear yeah. and, and yeah. copying what you... Were, yeah. you... were you listening to these... Um, Elvis and yeah. Buddy Holly on the radio exactly. was it? Uh, yeah. yeah yeah because in those days I think the, we got our first sort of a, a record playing the old 78s plastic 78s uh, and, and it was a wind up guitar, uh, gramophone but it had been, it'd been um, made into an electric one don't right. ask me why but you know well because that, that's they were just coming in and we were, we were only working class people and we couldn't afford them a proper one uh, in the fifties, and and I think the first record we ever got was, um, I think it was uh, "Singing the Blues" by Guy Mitchell, and uh, "Hound Dog" by Elvis. <laughs> you know, great, absolutely brilliant. And 
that was it. I was hooked. So yeah. I went to be a pop star. But I used to. I was just enjoying getting up and entertaining. But with me, sort of wearing glasses, you know, the national health glasses, and I didn't have a proper suit, you know. Um, and I had a, a failed crew cut. They meant my crew cut would not stick up because in <laughs> the fifties it was either crew cut or a Tony Curtis and a DA, which was a I won't say it was. <laughs> that's what they called it. And uh, and and I, I, everything failed where I was concerned as a teenager. And uh, and people used to laugh, you see. But, but oh, and so I started singing songs like. Uh, what was it, Tommy Steele and Once Upon a Time there was a little white bull and you know and it, I, I loved seeing people's face in you know eventually Speedy Gonzales you know mm. you know uh, la 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 and all that and then, so you said you got up in the in the pub yeah. at 16 yeah had anybody said to you what what um, what is it that makes you think I can do that. I'll get up and had, had, were you doing it at home and people were yeah. telling you, yeah, yeah. Oh well, uh, no one told. It's just that I think it was just a progression. I, like I say, I, I learned them. Sat, I remember sit, I sit, the best place, best house room in the house was the toilet because it used to echo. You yeah, it's good. <laughs> you I, sound I, amazing yeah, in the bathroom. I remember <laughs> sitting, sitting on the toilet once, going, "Nothing to, to Michael Holidays. I've nothing to do and nowhere to go and no one to listen to my Taylor Wolf." And uh, you know, and it and it went from there. Like I say, then the pubs, and then my mum and dad, bless them, they went to the Brooklyn's Trades and Labour Club, and my dad went to the Sailor Hotel. So you know, Christmas especially. I'd, I'd go in, you know, and this one time in the sale hotel, the Christmas, I'd go in with my mates, I was about 17 now, and if you're with your parents, they used to let you in the pub, because they were only, they only opened until about half past ten, and so uh, we, in, in the vaults as well, there was different rooms in pubs, the vaults, and which is where all the fellas go, the snug, you know, in Coronation Street, mm. all the, and Ina Sharples, yeah. and then the concert room, so I'm in the, the I'm in the, um, the the vaults with my dad, and he had his accordion, and we split split the vaults up like all the old men, all the, like I say from the army, like, were over that side, and me and the teenagers that were in there were a bit older than me, but they, they were all there. They'd be on my side because they knew the songs I knew. And we'd have like a competition. My dad would do like, he was into the ink spots, you know, why do you whisper green grass? <laughs> you know, and then I'd start, oh, well, the rocking lane, she's the man of the road, you know, and all my mates, you, you know, and it, and it was brilliant. And the rest of the pub got to know. And he said, hey, hey, we want, you know, we want us to hear it. We want to hear it. So of me, I went round with my guitar. You know, my dad didn't, he stayed in, but I went round to the other, when unbeknown to me, my brother, you know, who was older than me, and my best mate, Fred Clare, they were walking behind me, and I'm singing at all, the, like the snug and the concert room and everything, really having a great time, and when I got back to the to, to the vaults with him, they'd have two pint pots full of half crowns and things, so, whoa, I thought, this, hey, this is good, <laughs> I wow. think I like show business. <laughs> so, so that's that's a lot of... From from having to save up to get your guitar yeah, to yeah. be able to in one night I think in I one got night. it back yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, and then I started um, doing like I say the Brooklyn's Trades and Labour Club the Timpley Trades and Labour Club on my own and I had a little act together you know a couple of spots and that was it that's all you needed and uh, this fella offered me three quid for one night well I was I was a painter and decorator apprentice painter and decorator and I was um, I was just getting um, you know uh, the, 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 Took, I think it was two pound ten shillings for a forty-eight hour week, 
and I went on like the Brooklyn Strays and Labour Club and got three quid for one night I thought hey this is good but I was enjoying it yeah you know, it wasn't the money wasn't everything it was just that was a bonus you know it was just that I really enjoyed performing and and as I say I started doing comedy songs and uh, because that they went down better because I'm, I'm not a great singer I'm not a great guitarist but you know it, it you know, people say you've got such a personality, so so, mm. so it came across, obviously. And then when I was 17, uh, we used to go to Sail the Carno, and that's uh, more or less when Eddie Large first saw me. He saw me before, he told me, you know, after, yeah. before I saw him, he said, and he, he, what got him, we used to be in gangs in those days. There was a Moss Side gang in Manchester, it was called, and then the Withinshaw gang, which I was in. Nothing, I never saw any, well, now and again, a little bit of answer. We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It it only takes structure. And, and you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, we all we all artists over here, man. I'm Y'all trying. Oh, yeah, I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying, oh, I'm, trying yeah. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah, yeah. Damn, me, me. Yo, look, 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 we all artists, man. We go, you feel me? We gonna have this like. Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit right now. I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I gotta lie, don't play with it. Take that shit serious. I can imagine you said a little bit no, of violence. No, 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 I wasn't. I, I ran. But the thing was, I always remember Eddie saying these years later, he said, oh, he said, and he's asked, you know, when did you meet and all that. And he'd have the, the stock answers, you know, oh, we met by accident. And, you know, I ran him over on a zebra crossing, you know, things like that. And uh, the, the, it was the, the, was in this, the sale of camera, like a dance hall, like I say. And he was in this gang and he's looking over at the Withenshaw gang. And he saw me with, like I say, my national health glasses on. I had like what used to call a D-mob suit, what they, they give the fellas when they came out of the army. And, and it didn't fit me. They, you know, the pants were dead wide. You know, bell bottomed. And maybe I was the first one to have flares before flares were invented. <laughs> but uh, it was great, you know. And uh, he, t- he said, I looked over and he saw, wow, my failed crew cut. He said, anyone who looks that hard, you know, anyone who looks like that must be hard. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, wow, I've got a reputation already. You don't he didn't need to do any of the fighting. No, no, no. no. <laughs> so uh, you leave me alone, yeah. But then. You know, we got to know each other again because some of their mates knew our mates and used to play football because that was Eddie's love. He loved football. Manchester City, obviously, because that's when he was from Glasgow originally. He came down from Glasgow when he was eight with his family and they lived on Main Road, which was where you know, the city's ground was. Yeah. And that was his love. That started his love of city. And then uh, I wasn't really into football, but I used to go to the, the, the park with them and we'd save up on a Tuesday and that for, for um, holidays and every uh, for three years on the trot 17, 18, 19 we used to save up and uh, the last week in July and the first week in August we'd, we'd, we'd get the train we'd either go to Liverpool or Fleetwood funny enough and you get the train from Manchester and it come right here right outside this pub here now because over there is the, the wire and you'd, you'd get on the Isle of Man ferry and you'd go to the Isle of Man for a fortnight, cause havoc, and then come back, 
you know, and, and then get on the train here and back home to Manchester. And that was for three years. And the gang was about 13 of us, you know, and we'd, we'd go over there. And that's when me and Eddie struck up this relationship. We went over in uh, Isle of Man. It was called, uh, oh, what's it called? The, the Marina, no, what's it called? The big hotel, the big room, the Winter Gardens, like a... A cabaret thing. They, do, um, they, they have got somewhere called the, the they Marine got a Hall. Hall. It is the Marine Hall. Yeah. Like we've got here, yeah. yeah. And uh, and the, on a, I think it was a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. They used to have talent competitions. The Tuesday was for the kids, teenagers on a Wednesday, and adults on a, a Thursday. So we, it was raining, pointed out, and we went and we sat on on the floor in the dance hall. It was packed because yeah, everyone was in. And and our mates had put us in for it, me and Eddie, because by then, he, you know, I'd be playing guitar and he'd sing uh, the impression of Cliff Richard and all that. You know, high fudge, you know, and he'd, <laughs> he'd all like, myself a crying, talking, <laughs> and he'd do all that. I think I learnt my Cliff Richard impression from watching Eddie. Eddie, yeah, <laughs> I, he was a blinking good impressionist, which a lot of people didn't realise he was, you know. You'd already done some stuff together, had yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. It come, it come. Like I say, the first time was Timberley Trades and Labour Club. And he, I'd done my first spot on my own. I was booked on my own, and he was with his then girlfriend. And he said, um, "Can I get up with you with a second spot?" So I said, "Yeah, if you want, you know." So, uh, so we got up and did the songs we knew, and the place was in uproar, you know, and everything. And the concert, and it, it was straight singing, was it? He, he just well, got it, up and sang with you. It, 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 there wasn't no, there wasn't much comedy, but there were comedy songs. Like I right. say, it was like, do you remember um, uh, what's he called, uh, Benny Hill? You know, I rise at six and I feed the chicks and I'm feeling lonesome and blue. Yeah, you know all that. Yeah, and that was it. I was up. Yeah, and Eddie would sing it, oh. and then like Speedy Gonzalez, you know, it was a moonlit night on old Mexico. And then also the la la la, and Eddie'd be at the back of the club with a sombrero on and all that, and come running in, you know, you better come home, speedy. And he'd run, and being the size he was, everyone was falling about laughing, you know. Oh my goodness! And, then, and without any rehearsal, so no, you just yeah, kind of just, sat there and went, "No, Eddie, do you just, know this? Do you know well, that?" I just left Eddie. Did it? No, no, there was none of that. It was just, <laughs> it was just get up, and that's what I'm saying. But there was so, the, the the great the breeding ground in those days was the pubs and clubs for people like me and Eddie to get up and you just did what you, you could, you know, and uh, yeah. did what you knew best. And it, it just grew and grew. And then people started saying, oh, you're funny, you know, and all that. And then Eddie, just, just it just came naturally. It's like uh, I'd be stood there learning the guitar, because I don't like to say, I, I progressed from three chords to about, well, I could do quite a few now, but it, it was a learning curve for me. And I'd be there thinking, oh, what's the next song we're doing? Yeah, and Eddie'd be chatting to him, the audience, you know. And then say like, uh, like and, and then I come off stage and we go to the bar for a pint because you don't, you know, we call Sid and Eddie then, couldn't afford second names. <laughs> and uh, so, um, they, well, yeah, we sat that stood at the bar and they say, uh, Sid, how do you keep your face so straight? You know, he's all the jokes, he's doing the jokes. I don't remember him doing jokes, you know. And, and I said, wow, you know, uh, I never thought, and I thought, we've got something here. Yeah. So that's when we're being create. we were creating ourselves. We, you know, everything was something different. We remembered, like if someone had told us, you know, when you do this, you know, do that and do this. Oh, good idea, yeah. We, we took a lot on board and, um, you know, and it, it was great. And then, because like I say, I'd be stood there and Eddie would go like, uh, um, it'd say, uh, you know, look at him. If he turned sideways and stuck his tongue out, it looked like a zip. 
if he had four more navels, he'd look like a flute. You know, <laughs> you know, when he wears his blue suit, it looks like a, a refill for a viral. You know, and, and th- that's because I was thin, I was really skinny, and Eddie was on the stocky side, and and so it it took off, and that's when the comedy started coming in, and then obviously his impressions were great, and we started doing singing impressions, which really came uh, us off, and and it just grew from it. We got offered, like I say, when he, we did our first one. And we got offered, uh, he said, Sid, I want you back. The so-called success, but as a double act, he said, uh, I'll, gi- I'll give you six quid. Well, I thought, wow, but me, being me, I didn't realise three and three is six, so <laughs> I won't get any more anyway. Because that's one thing, all the years we've been together, bless him, uh, it was di- right down the middle, 50-50. Even yeah. when we started earning money in the 70s and 80s, 50-50, no, none of us were, were different. Do you want a cup of tea? I'll have half a cup. And that caught on. Yeah, that became a kind of catchphrase, I think. It was the hilarious film of 1999. It wasn't anything to do with race or religion or creed or colour. It was as simple as an art student who thinks he's all free and easy creating a model of a vagina and showing it to his mum and thinking that that's going to be okay. East is East by Ayub Khan Din broke new ground by portraying a relationship between a British woman and her Asian husband and their mixed-race family growing up in Salford in the early 1970s. A clash of cultures and generations ensues. Oh, frig off and wash your bastard curtains, you dirty cow. And I swear to God, that's one of the best lines I've ever had to say in my life. But the film had a serious side too, tackling both racism and domestic violence. I threw myself and put all my physical strength into trying to stop him, and I couldn't. In Helsinki, they were saying, I can't believe you've made this film. It's incredible because it's showing what life is like for us now. A series of special interviews with Linda Bassett, Leslie Nichol and Chris Bisson. It was a great script and it was a timely thing to tell because it hadn't been told before. They've done all sorts of incredible things to transport you back in time to give you an authentic feel of what it was like. This series of special interviews is available now at distinctnostalgia.com. So as you're kind of building what you do and trying things out, who else was that? Was this all around Manchester mainly? Mainly Manchester, yeah. Because we didn't have a car. We didn't, we, you know, we, we used to get the bus and it had a big Vox AC, AC30, it was called, where the Beatles used to have them. Big black thing and... and uh, me, me, Is that an amp yeah, for the guitar? Was, yeah, right, valves, okay. valves as well, they were heavy. And used to get the bus to stick it under, and then we used to do clubs like the Princess Club and the Domino Club, which are due in one night. So we'd have to get the bus from there to the other club, and then do that, and then go home. And and I think it was we turned professional in 1963, right? And when the Beatles were just starting, and we started, we, you know, they went a different way, but me and Eddie went the comedy way. And uh, uh, anyway, so it was 63, and Eddie bought a minivan. A, min, a minivan it was and uh, oh it's a smashing little van and and it saved us a lot but I couldn't drive I didn't drive for about f- two years three years and it was only when Eddie said you're gonna have to learn to drive you know he said uh, he said Cause I can't do all the drive because by then we're actually driving off we're going to Sunderland and places like that the northeast because there's a lot of working men's clubs up there mm. 
and we did them and then we come here we'd be going to Liverpool you know Manchester started moving out mm -hmm. and uh, and and we had all the to us people you say like it must have been hard in the in the early days and we said, it wasn't because we didn't know any different people said well if you can make it in the northeast and, and Manchester area you know you you'll you'll do it anywhere which is true mm. and that's what happened but we didn't feel it was a hardship we, we enjoyed doing it that's I think what it was but it, it, it just got we just got better and better mm. as the years went on well you're learning you're learning to read a crowd you're yeah. learning what works you kind of gauging well that works there but it doesn't work here well, it, in the various places you go that's right yeah especially yeah moving out like you say in the northeast the language was a bit better but that was sort of, like I say this is where we we actually did well because Eddie did all the impressions and he, he could do all the dialogues uh, wherever we were in Wales you know, at London, or there's only the phone folks in Singapore. Must be a bucket, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, so, Eddie would go up into the northeast, which is great. And they used to, be, I always remember this was a little bit later, but in the 60s now, we're in the 60s, and a uh, long way to go, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and we're in the 60s, and uh, and it was Alf Weedy saying, Pet, I don't know if you remember, and all, yeah. and it was all about Geordies, uh, well, northeast and one was from Newcastle one was from Sunderland the other one was from uh, Middlesbrough and then there was a Birmingham you know Birmingham and Eddie did a brilliant impression of all four you know the Birmingham one he did the, the, the uh, I forget his name but there was the, I think uh, Jimmy Nail was from Newcastle mm. you know and it, he, he, the great thing anyone can do why are you bugger you know get mm. your hand up and your leg you know and, and all that you, you can have a twang but yeah, Eddie phrases, oh you? and Eddie did the fantastic in, in, we used to go up there and say, "Why, Eddie?" He said, "You know, you get the locals. You, you, you're so good." He said, "Because you, you, you do the different accents. Because there's accents in the area. Yeah, like Middlesbrough, Sunderland, and and Newcastle are com not completely different, but they, you know, there is a difference. Mm. And he was doing the difference on these on these um, you know, on these impressions." which a lot of people and, and he was brilliant like that yeah so we got away with that he could you know and people liked you mm. because you you, you you made an effort to to be part of them type of thing yeah and and it just grew and grew and then i think in the 60s we started to um think well you had to take it serious then because we was getting a little bit more i think it's about 75 pound a week or something like that and how many shows would that would that be how what would you go week for like? a week or a fortnight and in the in to one area, area yeah. yeah like sunderland and that we you'd, you'd have digs do it's called it used to be called um pro digs professional digs and it was um you know, all mostly full of musicians and artists because there was, I, I mean, it was great times the sixties for clubs because they were all all of us. Were, that's when all the ones in the seventies and eighties, the na names you knew in the seventies and eighties came through, as Freddie Starr, Mike Yarwood, The Bachelors, all the ones um, you know, Les Dawson. Uh, Roy Walker, we we all all that era that you you know that you're all kind of all in the, doing the working men's clubs, yeah. all that. And then uh, and and that's that was that was the beauty of it. you get to know everybody because you'd be in these pro digs, and you'd get uh you get a you you know you worked late because you'd do like four clubs uh, three and four shows in a working men's club, then you go to a nightclub and work that uh, every night for, for seven nights a week, you know that's how you did it. 
and mm. it was and at the end of the week you go and get your, your money from the uh, agent you know in the office and and then that was fun in itself and then uh, why was that fun uh, well I let, used to let Eddie go because I was I, 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 you know, anything to do with money and all that. And if you say like, well, you didn't turn up here, you didn't turn up there or whatever, which we did, we were very good like that. But you know, it's, it was hard work. Well, we're taking 15% and uh, 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 you know. And, and were they always, were they a bit trying to fleece you? Or were well, they, well they, just... you know, they, they, they'd say like, oh, you know, uh, how much you're, you're, on, you're on this and this, that and the other. But it, yeah, it was, it, I, I, I didn't like handling that sort of thing. No, because I remember we 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 started being comedy. So it's it's easy. I know, but it's quite easy to be a singer because if you want, um, you go to a club and they want like five spots, which they did in the early days. Well, it's sight singing. Yeah, I'll do four spots. Sings there for the I'll sing all that. But comedy is different because you know you you you've got to give them your best in your first a spot. And then the second, and but that five spots is a hell of a lot of, you know, um, it's a lot of material, material yeah. to keep them occupied, you know, while the bingo's on. Then you get on again, and and it was very hard. So we, plus, if you if you didn't grab them, oh, you've got in that first spot, that, that, and then you're thinking, I've got four more to do. Yeah, well, that's right. At first, we used to save our best stuff to the last, and you think, no, that's not the way to do it. Hit them with your good stuff, and then you know if oh they're good, these lads will stay. What would you good? What was your kind of opening spot? What would it be? Oh, are you going back a bit now? I, <laughs> I'm I putting you on the spot now. Like, yeah, I am seventy-seven now. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, we'll yeah, move yeah, on. Yeah, but, uh, but but that's that's it's exactly what you say is something that I find so admirable in in stand-up comics, yeah. and I just think it is one of those things that you are. All right, if you're in a double act, you've got somebody there that's that's going through that with you. But to stand there and make somebody laugh, I mean, if you're not a great singer, but you can perform, you can get oh, away with it. Yeah. But if you're not funny, they'll yeah. let you know immediately, won't oh, they? Oh, they in won't. Those days, yeah. And 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 I think that is what I find incredible about yeah. a stand-up comedian. Well, I think what it was with me and Eddie that, that why I think they liked us. The audience is that is because eighty percent of, of being a good act is they've got to like you, mm. and I think they did. We were like the boys next door, and it, 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 we, it was like we had just thought it up and got up and done it. Uh, very, it looked very loose and very uh, amateurish, I suppose. But they liked that, you know. It's, it, and it, you've got the immediate visual. Yes, yes. Guy. Were you still Sid and Eddie then? Yeah, we yeah. were Sid and Eddie right up to. I think it was 1968, yeah, 68. And 68, we went to this club down south. Now, we were, you know, the, the Savannahs, you know what I mean? Is that a different, different oh yeah. kettlefish? Like I say, we didn't know, but we we did it okay. And we were in Brighton, I think it was. And it was a, like a very posh uh, restaurant cabaret club. And uh, like so we're still called Sydney. Eddie. And after the, we'd done the week, and we'd done very well. And the manager come up to us and he said, Lads, he said, you've done very well for me this week. He said, I'll have you back, he says, but change your name. And we said, well, what's wrong with it? You know, Sid and Eddie, we've had it for years, all that. So uh, he, he said, well, put it this way. He said, if I phoned your agent up and said, um, and the agent says, I've got this great double act. He said, they sing, they play guitar, do comedy. Uh, what they called? Fred and Charlie. I thought, ah, we get it. 
Fred and Charlie, you know, we're, we're too close to Sid and Eddie, you know, it didn't, we, but Fred and Charlie, you think, yeah, it is a bit. So that, the week after, we got, went up to the northeast, and I remember Eddie uh, buying a, a second-hand uh, typewriter, and he, he learned to, do, 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 in, and as I say, in the, back in the pro digs, he'd be upstairs, and he'd be writing names down that he thought would be, you know, good for us to have, and these things like, um, because uh, he was into football, so it's um, Mike Summerby and people like Bell. So it's Summerby and Bell, you know, Mike and Bernie Winters were a big double act in, in the 60s. And we, so we thought Mike and Bernie Winters, Sid and Eddie Summers, you know, things like this. And there was loads of them. So the next day he'd come down for breakfast, about 12 o'clock, that's when he, he got your breakfast. <laughs> it was great. It was great. There were great gigs, great do's. And we, we used to, we used to he, he sat there and he gave me this big sheet and he said, they are, pick a name. And I'd see all these, and right in the middle, little and large, I said, little and large, I said, yep, that's the one. And so, you wow. know, and, uh, and it was Eddie that got it. And, and it was, from then on, that was it. You know, like Ingleburg Umperding changed his name from Jerry Dorsey. We changed it to little and large and the world opened up. Distinct, comedy, fresh and original. Get Kettle on Dotty and Thriping. Have you heard about her at number 38? This is right. Emma, yeah, she's only gone and got herself an octub. Meet Florian Dotty by Janice Fryett. Two northern lasses who love a good goss. She's invited us round to help her christen it. You might need to trim your lady garden a bit. And they'll have a sideswipe at anything, from the neighbours and social issues to sexuality and social media. Gypsy queen? No, thanks, Satan. I'm on a health kick. Well, you don't look very healthy right now. You've got a funny colour. A distinct comedy presentation, only on Distinct Nostalgia. It'll be just like Love Island. Love Island? Are you kidding? Lesbian Love Island, more like if it's just us three. Listen by scrolling through the Distinct Nostalgia feed. Only on Distinct Nostalgia. When I ran out of children's books, I used to read from Woman's Own. Who knew a four-year-old would be gripped by an article on cross-stitch? We're uniting the ages with Generation Games, a series of comedy and drama monologues and duologues coming exclusively to distinct nostalgia. Stories exploring connections, friendships and relationships between people across different age groups, beginning with Missing You, starring June Brown and Sam Barnard. Mum thinks I need protecting... But I need protecting from love. Pity that social worker of his can't do something useful for a change. Contact the noise abatement lot. Put in a complaint. I like her, I said. And then, silence. What's the problem? I asked. She'll take advantage of you, Mum warned. Missing You by Richard Verjet, With the legendary June Brown only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast it, it got better and then I remember our agent of the day Major Brian Hart in Nottingham he was from and ex-army and all that he was he was okay but but he got he did he was alright for us he, he pushed us which we didn't want some of the things and he wanted us to do Opportunity Knocks and we said we don't you know we, we thought we'd made We'd been going eight years now from '63, right? You know, wherever it was, and uh, and we thought everyone knew us. We were happy just doing yeah, what so, we were doing. Yeah, so so there wasn't that sense of 
getting higher. Getting higher and higher. No, no. no. We, we never, we didn't, we were happy because in those days, like I say, the, there was, we wouldn't do the same club twice in a year because there was that many of them all yeah. over the country. And it was fabulous, you know. It was like, it, the, the clubs replaced the theatres because the theatres all died when television came out and, uh, you know, for, 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 for vaudeville, yeah. for variety. Variety stuff, yeah. and, and 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 that was it. it we just kept going and then he he said you've got to go you know to get you on television and we thought oh no you know and all this and so he kept pushing and pushing and there was a, a the producer was called Royston Mayo Huey Green's uh, was a compare as you know and uh, Royston Mayo was the producer and and um, Brian Brian Hart I met our agent kept pushing him all the time oh they're like these lads are great and all that and so eventually you know, we said, we, we don't want to go to the audition, we haven't got time and all this. So the, the, it was Royce, to get him off his head, he went with another two. It always had to be three people who were judges, like, you know. Yeah. So he came, we, they were in Liverpool doing auditions and we were at the Wookiee Hollow in Liverpool, the Wookiee. And so we, we, we went on stage and he was in the audience with the other two from the, the Up Knocks team. And uh, he came back in the dressing room after we'd done, we did a storm, you know. Wow. He said, he said, I remember you two about eight years ago, he says. And uh, Rubber Ball, we used to do this number called Rubber Ball. Bouncy, bouncy. And then he used to <laughs> bounce about, bouncy, bloody bouncy, you know. He said, I, I hated you, I didn't like you. He said, but wow, you've come on, you know. And uh, so he said, you can't, the first show's already booked. Second show, we'll put you on the second or the third show. And we were booked, like I say, doing... So we, I think we went on the third show of Opportunity Knocks 1971. And much to our surprise, we won it. We're not just, you know, friends, yeah. friends, friends. If you can't spell it in large, just put crap, we'll know what you mean. <laughs> that <laughs> was one of his gags. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right. oh no, not me. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, he delivered it better than that. Yeah. But uh, it, it was, um, you know, it, was, it wasn't instant, neither. You know, it's like Freddie Starr went on it. He was, because he went on to do other things. But that was 1971, and it wasn't until uh, we're still going on a bit. We, In fact, 72, we got offered what's it called Cracker Jack. Oh, uh, yeah. When, when it had been off television for a while, when Eamon Andrews had used to do it and that. And it, it, it came back, and it was... Michael Aspel was the was the link man, as it were. But do you know Elaine Page? She was one of the girl singers oh, with she? us, yeah. And 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 uh, that was it. And, and me and Eddie, little and large, and it nearly killed us. It was thirteen weeks in sort of February, January, February time of seventy two, and uh, we, we're doing getting the train to Houston to rehearse, then coming back to go on the clubs, Wakefield or wherever we were working. It was hard work. And it nearly killed us. But not not only that, it nearly destroyed our, you know, the, the, what we were trying to achieve. We, we also know overnight we became kids entertainers, which we didn't want. We didn't want to be, you know, we'd worked all that time in the hard man's working men's clubs and pubs and everything. Just, you know, we, we didn't want it. You know. No. Man, you have you said that. The Chuckle Brothers did okay. Yeah, they did, didn't they? And they went for it. We was used to bump into a lot of time before they became famous as well. But anyway, so, you know, that, that was it. And it took us about 18 months to get back to 
because we, we got to the working men's club Sheffield and place like that and there'd be kids with, with um, the mothers would be feeding with the, the milk bottles you know and all that and running around the club and we didn't want that you know no it's completely and different yeah, audience, yeah yeah it was because we, we weren't a blue act or anything but you know we were quite adult it, like I say it took 18 months and then we eventually got our thing back and but the good thing about it now Royston Mayo uh, as I say was the producer of Up Knox uh, was coming to an end the, the Up Knox in 77 I think mm -hmm. it was and Royston uh, used to have us uh, on different things you know uh, the all winners show I remember being on it with Les Les Dawson and things like that he was a and uh, any any chance he could have us he'd use us on the TV that he was doing whatever and then when it came off the air, um, Opportunity Knocks, it was a slot on a Monday night and it was uh, quarter to seven till half past seven, 45 minutes. And then it was Coronation Street. And in those days, yeah, BBC One, BBC Two, um, ITV. And so, you know, we, 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 we got offered uh, to do a, a, um, do a pilot show. And right. the pilot show is, if you um, you know the, the, if you're any good they'll make you a series and it's just to test you to see if you're any good and Royston was the producer which was great you know so we got Royston on uh, um, he got us on board and we, we did our first little and large show and it went very well it so went. that was doing your act that you were doing the clubs or was it well changed slightly for that that pilot because you came very sketchy exactly didn't it and it, it was it, it was television yeah it so was completely different because that was the first thing you know, you get told you know uh you, you know on you're on the clubs you're all right because you've got all night to get win the uh, but when you go on television you've got three minutes that's when we first went on up knocks and you think well, wow, what what part of the act can we do in three mm. minutes but we did it so that's helped and then you you do it's a completely different format television I never liked television and I, I never I, I was always nervous mm. I was always you know it, I was uncomfortable I love live shows but I was just uncomfortable with it and Eddie took to it like a duck to water I mean like I was hopeless at sketches as, as you know um, reading yeah I, I, I was a terrible I had to I have it in car on a tape you know and listening to it the, learning what, the learning words, the words over and over again. Eddie could hear it two or three times, read it two or three times, and he'd, he'd have it off like that. And it was very hard for me, you know, yeah. to, to to get it. But I, I, I did, and obviously did because we, you know, we you went did. on to do the series in 1977, and we went from nowhere to 13 in the ratings in our first series, and, and we were getting sort of 20 million viewers or something on a Monday night. Yeah. But uh, no, uh, Coronation Street was following us. You see, mm. we, we, it's a clever little slot, and and it was hard work because, you know, I remember Roy the first time he said he'd come in, we'd be in the rehearsal room, and he'd walk through the door. This was before we'd started. This, but we're looking forward to it, and he got this big pile of papers like that, and he dumped them on the table. And said, right, you know, put a show together, eh? You know, get scripts, you know, because they're all scripts, you know, for for sketches. And uh, and he was just a scare us and, and all that. And then he he knew, he knew which ones he wanted to do, mm. and all that. And what the sketches, and they were very good. I can't remember. So most one of them I can remember where, 
we were like a, there was a sh piece of sheet music and we were moving the notes around and, and then you know and it, 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 it's quite un, you know you can't explain it very well on, on radio but it was uh, and we, we like I say we went and that was it we went from nowhere to 13 and then and that was it and we lost one of the shows because there was a strike at Thames Thames Television that's where it was done lovely that was a lovely studio there right by the Thames yeah, yeah. Anyway, so we, we, that was it. So we'd made a name and we did our first big summer season at the North Pier Blackpool. So that came after the telly, yes. did it? Yes, yeah. 77 was our big year because we did a television show in, uh, in, the Mar in the April and then we did the North Pier in Blackpool with Frank Carson, Norman Collier and Jim Davidson. Wow. He, was, he was only 21, Jim, yeah. In fact, he was on his first wife. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah so, 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 it's in, and little and large topping. And me and Eddie said, we can't top that lot. You know, flipping it. You know, Frank Carson, and we did. You know, it was a sellout uh, thing. I mean, they and, were the summer seasons in Blackpool. Oh, were phenomenal, wasn't they? Because you had yeah. every single pier. You yeah. had the Winter Gardens, yeah. the Grand Theatre. And they would all be two yeah. shows a day. Two shows a night, yeah. Two shows Six a night. Six o'clock and eight o'clock, so all round about that yeah. time, yeah. And, and if you're playing somewhere like the Winter Gardens or the North Pier, that's it. Yeah. They're like two... A thousand. Two thousand it's a North thousand on the North Pier. Because I always remember, uh, I don't know if it was 77, it might have been 79. No, it was 77. And we were packed, you know. And it, uh, um, Danny LaRue was at the Opera House. And he was topping there, and he invited us out once one night with our our wives. You know, I was married to Cherie then, and Eddie was with his wife, and and we went to, to this uh, uh, restaurant. I don't know where it was in Blackpool, quite a posh one. And he had the, and he said, "Right, girls, I want you with me." The so that you know that our wives sat at the side of him, and uh, he started chatting, and and you know he's he's we're saying like, and people saying, "What you know? Oh, they're coming over," and Danny, you know. Like, Great lads, you're sold out, aren't you? Fantastic every night, every performance. Wow, brilliant! And Danny says, "Boys," he said, "when you're full, I might only be half full, but I've got, still got more people in oh. than you." Which he did because yeah. it was like a two, three, two, three thousand yeah. seater. Yeah. So you know, he, he always had it. You know, even when I'm half full, I've got more people in than you. And, you know, in every that you get big yeah. You know. Yeah. But uh, but that's massive, isn't it? Two shows a night. Yeah. A thousand people. Yeah. Per show. Yeah. Eleven hundred actually. Eleven hundred. Yeah. Walking down the pier. Oh, walking yes. down Blackpool Pier. <laughs> right in October. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's a long season as well because of the illuminations. Yeah, it's it's uh, not just the 18, summer holidays. Nineteen weeks. Yeah. Oh yeah, that, that's the beauty of Blackpool was the the lights. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think the last summer season we ever did in Blackpool, me and Eddie together, was nineteen ninety three. And it was at the Opera House, Joe Longthorne. I uh, think I saw that. You might have done. I think I did. Uh, who else? Uh, Devere, Richard Devere, who's the magician at mm -hmm. the Pleasure Beach for years. And a few others I can't remember. Oh, Norman Collier. And uh, and I can't remember. I don't think Frank was with us. No, he wasn't. And uh, and it was two shows a night. And this is the Opera House now. Now you're talking 2000 now. Two shows a night for six nights a week. And it was packed again because Joe was a good pull. He yeah. Pulled. So Little and Large and Joe Longthorne. And uh, it was fantastic. And that's when Royston Mayo again, see, 
he was doing at that time, 93, a program called This Is Your Life. And we didn't know, our wives, you know, my wife, Cherie, sort of was, it was all secret. Because if you got to know that you were on it, they cancelled it. They cancelled it, didn't yeah, they? But yeah. we, never, we never knew from, and I think it was first muted in the, the April of that year, and it comes out in September, you nabbed in September. And so to keep it a secret. That's a that, long that's time a, to keep a secret. And my little lad, who's now 30 odd, whatever, he, he, he's, he was only five, if that, I can't remember. But he's only young. And she had, because these strange men are coming to our house while I'm performing, you know. And so she knew it was safe to come and talk about, like we're talking now, yeah. what Sid and Eddie did in the past. And uh, so, Mummy, who's that, you know, keep it a secret, but don't tell Daddy. And he did. I mean, for a little kid to keep something like that, and it was it was great. And anyway, so that particular night, he, um, uh, well, I've, I've seen it, you know, and we we didn't know. And we used to finish the first half uh, in with a song called "Singing in the Rain." And it, Tommy Steele had it for a show. He used to went round Britain with, and it was a proper. The rain came down. Yeah. And and we we you know we're in these suits, and we got drenched. Two shows and we had two suits. I definitely and saw the show. It, yeah. I can't remember and, it. And it was singing dooby doob doob and all that, and oh, it was quite funny. And uh, uh, well, most of it, and it was great. And with with the, the curtains closed, and they lifted up again, and we were taking a bow, and the audience is going wild, you know. And we thought, wow, we've never had this. Re <laughs> you know, good reaction, but this is like OTT, you know. And flip more, and it wouldn't stop, you know, more, more. And unbeknown to us, Michael Aspel, he's walking from behind with one of the girls under an umbrella, one of the dancers, you know, who uh, were dressed in bikinis and things, but they had, uh, uh, anyway, they, they were walking and, and they walked right to the front. And I looked down and there's this fellow with wellies on and I looked up and he said, yeah, you know, it's little and large, this is your life, you know, and wow, you know. And, mm. But the sad bit was, he said, right, we're going to, he said, wow, this is your life. And they're going mad, the audience. He says, right, we're going to whisk you away to a warm studio in Manchester. Granada, it was done there. Manchester. And all the audience went, ah, Because they want, they was hoping it happened there and then. Yeah. But it didn't. And we did it about half past one in the morning. Yeah, because you had to do your second show and yeah, everything. Yeah, to do the, the and all, all, our, uh, all the art stars and uh, people that had, you know, come said they'll come on the show. We're all waiting in the studio, so we had to quick shower. They had clothes and everything waiting for us. We went in the dressing room. Uh, Sheree was asked, "What does Sid like to drink?" And you know, and Eddie and I had a bottle of red wine there waiting for me. Whoa, great! You know, nice. And it, it, that was the last summer season that we did. And then after that, that's when the the, the, the demise of the summer seasons in Blackpool. Well, everywhere because the acts that were coming through then could go to the O2 Arena and fill it in one night and they could make as much money in one night that we made in a season. And, that's, and that was the difference. People are travelling abroad, aren't they, for a holiday? Exactly, um, yeah. People don't more for the money. want that kind of... Unfortunately, yeah. that entertainment was then on television or yeah, it was... Yeah. You know, you had video, you yeah. had you had the cinema. It's yeah. it's well. It's the kind thing of a is, the stars of the day didn't want to do it mm. because what? Why do they want to sit in a dressing room like you just said? Two shows a night, sit in a dressing room, and wait for the second show. When you know you could fill a, another place, and you you don't. They didn't need it. They didn't need to do summer seasons. 
and that was it mm. and like pantomime suffered the same thing they didn't want to do sit in a dressing room and you know or th- three hours of on and off on and off the stage it, that's why it died and it's a shame in in so many ways but I suppose that's it's like you saying about rock and roll being the yeah, new yeah. kind of music. Things yeah. move and and you can only... They progress. Keep, yeah. yeah, you can only keep that going for so long as yeah. well, can't you? Well, it's like every generation... Uh, I, I remember, uh, like you've just said about rock and roll, when that first came out, my dad and uh, I mean his generation, this is rubbish, this, you know, blinking, you know, or what, the big bands were wiped out uh, of the day. And, and it was really of the day. Then when like the 80s and the 90s started coming in and the music, me and Eddie hated the music because it was, there was nothing to get, you know, it was all this electric and all that, you know, the, mm. and, and it was nothing you could, it's, I think the nearest thing that, that got us back for a while uh, was uh, the Oasis, and he used to do a great impression of Oasis. And mm. he you got to roll with it, you got. <laughs> and it, you know the guitar. Do you remember the, when yeah. he used to drop it on the floor? <laughs> yeah, and uh, amazing that. And you know, we did, we did well. You know, yeah. uh, to, 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 we got the best years of a variety. I think. Sid Little speaking to Caroline Hayward in part one of Little Remembers Large. Keep listening for part two of Little Remembers Large as Caroline begins her new series with a range of comedians looking back at their comedy memory lane. Distinct Nostalgia is produced by MIM and there are loads more excellent shows to listen to on our website. Danny Rogers recalls growing up with 321's Dusty Bin. So my first encounter with Dusty Bin was my dad sort of wheeling him out as a young boy. I had no clue what this thing was. And I was frightened, of course. But as it went on, I was like, oh, this is my new best friend. <laughs> and I was one of the lucky few that actually had one in their bedroom. Kathy Gorey discusses the legacy of Rosemary, the telephone operator. Hello, hello. I had an effect on a bunch of Gen Xers. Or maybe I was their first female crush or something. But I meet men, some of them quite powerful now, who grew up watching me. You know, watching Rosemary, rather. But I thought, this is nuts. And they let me do pretty much what I wanted to do. Everything was always rhyming. Some you call the police department, Hong Kong Kong. And that's that's what I thought Rosemary would sound like. And John Boy himself talks about his childhood with the Waltons. It was really one of the great ensemble TV shows. I mean, we had 11 regulars. And although the story was told from John Boy's point of view, one of the great things about the show was the main story could be about the little kid one week or it could be about the grandparents so you had all this wonderful generational comprehensiveness about it and so i would call it first and foremost a great ensemble these programs and many more are available at distinctnostalgia.com or wherever you get your podcasts subscribe to be notified whenever a new episode becomes available and if you like what we do then please consider supporting us on patreon Every penny helps us to make even more amazing content just for you. Go to distinctnostalgia.com and click on the donate button. Thank you for listening and bye for now. Distinct Nostalgia is brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. We've lots of activities for you to do at home at liferooms.org. Staying well, staying home.